are in Luke, and uh, we're continuing in the second Sunday of Lent in the lectionary. And the lectionary is basically uh, a schedule, uh, a three-year cycle schedule of texts uh, that some people in the world, the church worldwide, follow. And we at Renew, we follow the lectionary during like important seasons like Advent and Lent, uh, major seasons, and then we do series, book series uh, in between. Um, but so we're following the lectionary and we've been tracing uh, the, the New Testament reading, the gospel reading, and this week falls on Luke 13, 31 through 35. But as I was reading, doing some background reading in Luke, um, something that stood out to me about the character of Jesus, who Jesus was, is that he is so powerful and authoritative and he knows what he wants and he says it and people shudder or move aside, step aside. He's very straightforward and direct. He's a man on a mission, a God on a mission. But at the same time, Jesus is very gentle and has compassion and love for people on the fringes, has compassion and love for people who are flocking to him, wanting to be healed, wanting to touch him, wanting to have their sight restored, wanting to um, speak again, to hear again, to have demons cast out. So this, this ultimate tension of character between the authority and power and strength of Jesus along with the compa his compassion and gentleness it's what every young man like myself strives after, but cannot achieve that perfect balance. In my 20s, you know, many of the guys I knew, men I knew, okay, me, um, we, you know, we're either jerks, right? We're jerks to everyone around us. And uh, Jesus, well, it's not fair because Jesus is God, right? Both God and human at the same time. So he strikes this tension. And I think this tension is um, present here in Luke 13. But before I go into the text, I want to tell more stories. Um, aggressive driving. Aggressive driving. So I was watching CBS Morning News, uh, and uh, there was this poll or, or survey taken of US cities as re with regards to aggressive driving. And this poll rated cities in terms of what cities were the most, had the most aggressive drivers versus what cities had the least or most passive drivers. Where do you think Seattle came in? Oh, most aggressive. Most aggressive or? Most passive. Really? Most passive? Survey says they came in 29th of the cities in terms of being passive. So that was almost dead last. Oh, yeah. And uh, Seattle, they are the, we are the most passive driver, or we say some of us are like, they are. Some of us are like claiming the deal is 206. The most passive drivers. And when I saw this, I was like, no wonder. No wonder I'm so angry when I drive. No wonder I get so frustrated when I drive. And I have all of these rules. And I think these rules should be followed by everyone. But Seattle drivers are so passive and so slow. One thing is I hate, I'm going to go off on some of my pet peeves, is when I'm merging onto a highway and there's someone ahead of me. And the, the traffic is going 65 to 70 miles per hour. But this person merging onto the highway is 
going what? 45, 40. It's like, do you understand that going slow doesn't necessarily mean safety? Right? Going slow does not mean safety. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're a conservative driver. You know, this is what a diverse church means, that we coexist together even though we have different philosophies or belief systems or, uh, or preferences or tendencies. But you're going to kill me, lady or man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do not. <laughs> it was just arbitrary, right? This is the inclusive Bible. Um, you're going to kill me. Right? I'm stuck behind you. Cars are zooming past, and i got to get into the lane, and you're going so slow. You're going to kill all of us. I hate being in the left turn lane at a left arrow on a busy intersection and it lasts for like five seconds, right? And there's like 20 cars lined up to turn left and I'm 15 cars back. And I'm calculating in my head, I can make it if everyone pays attention, is on top of it and like accelerates and like goes. And when I'm in the front of the line on a left turn arrow, I make sure that it's very important for the first person to jet out of there, right? Because you create space. You create space then people can go. But if you're, man, <laughs> when the first person is like, it, it, the lights turn and they're sitting there. I don't know, they're texting on their cell phone or they're laughing at the radio or they're doing something. Like, you're like, go! And everyone's like, and then the next person is like, Reaction time. I hate that. You have to book out of there so most, it's being selfish, right? We want as many people as possible to make that light. That's love. That's being a neighbor. Right? Have vision, be considerate. And then my mind goes off into, into other things like, this country, you, the United States, we're losing our values, our core like identity. We don't care about each other. Kids are selfish. I'm gonna ground my kid from Fortnite. Like, ah! And then finally, people who drive slowly in the left lane of the highway. Oh, that's so rude. Right? That's rude. It's like, they're just like 50 miles per hour. Da, 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 da. They don't see the 20 cars backed up behind them, right? It's called a passing lane for a reason. The left lane is to go faster than the speed limit, mind you. These are my rules, right? If you're going to pass, obviously you're going to go faster than the speed limit. So you're going faster than the speed limit in the left lane to pass. If you're not passing anybody, or you notice like cars going by you on the right side, that means something. That means you're the fool at the table, <laughs> right? Like pay attention, go move over, move over. And so in those times, I take off my pastor hat, right? I'm sorry, Jesus will forgive me later. And I'm <laughs> I'm like, come on, honk, honk, honk. 
And so in order for me to have a peaceful day, I let my wife drive. Because <laughs> driving in Seattle is just, I get angry. And that's because there's a piece of me that's a very aggressive driver. I'm aggressive when I'm driving. Maybe I'm not aggressive in other places in life, but driving, you know, they say a car kind of make, makes up for deficiencies that you feel inside. Like, when I'm in a car, I'm aggressive, right? Because I'm in a heavy vehicle. But in our passage, Jesus appears to be very aggressive very single-minded, very focused, right? He's set on his mission, his identity, his purpose. And you may say, hey, I thought Jesus was the lovey-dovey guy, right? I thought Jesus cared about people. Why is he being a jerk? Right? We, we tend to think people, there's no place for businessy people in the church. Right? Or in community. Because, or focused people. Or people who think about the goal over people. Right? And so we're like, that person is not nice. That person is a jerk. That's like corporate person. Right? It's like a takeover type person. And at first glance, it seems like Jesus is just into his goal. Right? It says, at the time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And we've got to put these verses, these five verses into context. These five verses are set in the context of Jesus in Galilee. Galilee is north of Samaria, which is north of Judah, where Israel, where Jerusalem is. So Galilee, Samaria, Jerusalem. So he's in Galilee, and Jesus is from Nazareth, right, in Galilee. Um, and it's set within this section of Luke, starting in chapter 9, 9 verse 51, actually, where it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Three chapters, or four chapters before this. And then Jesus set his face towards so basically, Luke is pointing out here that now Jesus is beginning to make his final journey to Jerusalem, where in Jerusalem he'll be incarcerated, arrested, tortured, beaten, crucified, and will rise again. So basically, why he's on the earth, his mission. And Luke puts this little verse, 951, he set his face towards Jerusalem. So we gotta keep that context in mind, um, the because the context matters, and that Luke is being intentional in highlighting Jesus's vector towards Jerusalem. And this is what Lent is, right? We're in the season of Lent. Our series title is called Journey to Renewal. We, as a church, as individuals, are entering into this same journey that Jesus is on in his march towards the cross. We're aligning our heart to the same rhythm. We are saying, as people of Jesus, Jesus, as Christ followers, as the church, we live differently. We live with a different rhythm. We live with a different itinerary. We live with a different agenda than the rest of the world. Right? And this is exactly what Jesus is about. 
And in this context, it is all the more dramatic that Jesus' life is being threatened by Herod, it says. Because the Pharisees come and say, don't you worry? Aren't you worried? Herod wants to kill you. And we don't know if they're trying to help Jesus or if they're like out to get Jesus. Most likely, given the context, they're trying to push Jesus out. Right? Like, stop what you're doing. We don't like it. Get out of here. Get out of town. Get out of our sphere of influence. You know why? Because Herod's going to kill you. Ha, 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 ha. Get out. And they're demanding that he leave. Stop what he's doing. Stop all of his activities, his miracles that he's doing with among the people, and leave. But in our passage, Jesus stays the course. Everyone say, Jesus stays the course. Jesus stays the course. Jesus has a mission and an itinerary. Herod doesn't control this itinerary. The Pharisees don't control the itinerary. My wife doesn't control the itinerary. Right? You can laugh. <laughs> God is the author of Jesus' purpose, agenda, mission. God is in control of Jesus' itinerary. And Jesus is obedient and faithful and walking this timeline. He has a different timeline in his head than what the voices around him are saying. You need to leave. You are being threatened. Aren't you fearful for your safety? Get out of here. Leave. Go. And instead, Jesus responds. Today, right? It's a refrain. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. It's almost like the Truman Show. Good evening, good, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Right? Today, tomorrow, and the next day. I'm going to keep driving out demons. Keep healing people. Mm. And I, on the third day, I will reach my goal. Mm. Clearly, this is a foreshadowing, right? The same language as his death. In three days, he will rise, right? He's foreshadowing the, the meta-narrative, right? The meta-mission. But he's saying, today, then tomorrow, and then on the third day, I have stuff to do, right? I have tasks to do. The Father has me on a mission. And that's to heal people. That's to free people of the things that's binding them. Right? That's to give people a new hope in places of despair. That's to touch people in places that they've never been touched before. Um, Jesus is, was there, and Jesus is here, and Jesus is in the world for the people. He's here for the lame. He's here for the poor. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, oh, I have a bad word in there. Forget Herod. Forget that my life is in danger. I have people to heal, free, and release and love. So many people. And I'm doing this, and I'm, I'm going to keep doing this all the way to Jerusalem. We're going to keep hearing the cries of the people. Keep answering the call of the incarcerated. Keep making home for the homeless and the immigrant and the refugee. Keep touching the untouchable. Keep dining with sinners. Keep shouting, pick up your mat and walk. Arise, woman, your sins are forgiven. Yes. I don't judge you. I love you. Yes. I'm going to keep 
touching the eyes of the blind. I'm going to keep allowing people who can't hear to hear again. I'm going to say, rise up and walk to the lame and the cripple. I'm Jesus, and I'm here for the people. And the people have been crying out to the Lord, and the God has heard them, and this is why I'm here. Amen? Amen. Love is a speeding locomotive. Jump on. Love is focused and single-minded. Love does not lose heart but keeps forging ahead. Love blows past all obstacles to move forward. Love will not be denied. Love does not give up. Love continues to hope. It's on the train track, and it's moving. It won't be deterred. It won't be intimidated. It will keep going all the way to Jerusalem, even on the dark days. And that dark day when the temple veil ripped apart, love kept going and going and going all the way into the desert, through the desert, out of the desert. Love went to the tomb, and love came out so that all of us can be saved and keep on loving, keep on trucking, keep on going to Jerusalem. For this is the path of love. And this is why Jesus is a jerk and says, no, I'm not going to do what you say. Because I have love. And this is where the vulnerable Jesus comes in. Right? Because Jesus mission and his task and his single-mindedness wasn't just to be to boast and be this tough guy this warrior who everyone would bow down to and be like tremble in fear when they saw his strength and his glory but his mission was to the cross a vulnerable position a humiliating place and in our passage we see that this vulnerability and this tenderness, the why of his mission, the why of his single-mindedness, right? It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see the compassion and love and tenderness and vulnerability of Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know about you men out there, but I am not gonna self-refer to myself as a mother hen, right? That's because I'm not secure enough in my manliness, masculinity. Jesus was like, to you people, I feel like a mother hen that sees her chicks, and I want to gather you under my wings. The God of the universe, the Savior of the world, feels like, he feels like a mother does with her chicks. I want to nurture you. I want to protect you. I want you to, I, I want to bring you home. I want to comfort you. I want to feed you. Right? Come, I want to provide you safety. And this is the reason for Jesus' strength and stubbornness and saying no. Right? I'm not going to listen to Herod. I'm not going to listen to your threats. But I'm going to move forward 
because this is the way of love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Woo! Where am I on this? Mm. <laughs> Keep yeah. You know, when I'm focused, it's hard to interrupt me. It takes a while to take my mind off the task at hand and to get me to look at something else. When there's something that needs to be fixed, a problem that won't just be solved, I will stick with it and stick with it until it's fixed. I won't eat. My children will say, Dad, Dad. I won't answer until like five hours later. Huh? Did you say something? My wife will be like, eat something, eat something. You're getting low blood sugar. You're getting hangry. I got to fix this. It's probably my computer, like getting, you know, doing something on my computer. Uh, But the way of love in its single-minded focus is actually not about ignoring things, Mm -hmm. but the way of love will take us off track. It will interrupt our lives. It will be inconvenient. Yes, love is a speeding locomotive, but the why of love is the most important thing. Jesus was dead set on Jerusalem. But what was the why? The why was for the chicks. That's the babies of the hen. For humanity, for the literally hurting crowds. He will touch and heal and speak words of truth to people all the way to Jerusalem and ultimately deny his royalty, deny his kingship, deny his dignity, deny his godhood, and die on a tree for us. Thank God that Jesus did not scare off and kiss the ring of Herod. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and your truth and your undying love for us. Your undying, unwavering love for us. That even today you are pursuing each one of us, no matter where we find ourselves, what we've done, how bad we feel. You are pursuing us and chasing us and fervently headed like a laser beam towards us in order to embrace us, to call yourself to your love, your mercy, your saving grace. You want us in your arms again. Help us to call out, help us to come back to you. Help us to see and receive that love. And also give us that dogged love for people around us. That just as you've loved us, um, that we would be undying and fervent in believing in people and hoping for people and longing for better things for people and serving people around us and willing to be interrupted, taking off track made uncomfortable in order to love our neighbors, love our family members, and love uh, our coworkers and the people around us. Give us your love. And on this journey, there are so many things to take us off track. There's so many distractions. There's so many threats. The threat of finances, the threat of safety, the threat of losing, 
losing our friends, the threat of not being liked, the threat of being on the wrong side of what's popular, the threat of having the, uh, the wrong belief. Um, but help us to deny all of those threats and to move forward with you, walking alongside you in the journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.